everyone. If, if we haven't met by now, my name is Ryan Moore, and I'm the pastor of CARE here at the Life Christian Church. And we're continuing um, our series, The Story of Jesus, Explore a Better Story, uh, looking at John chapter 9 and the man born blind. If I could dramatize this passage, I think it would go a little like this. Long ago, in the city of Jerusalem, there was a man who had been blind since the day he was born. The Bible doesn't mention the man's name, but church tradition has called him Saladonius. Saladonius was very poor because he was blind. He couldn't work at a regular job. So he sat there beside the street all day, every day. When he heard people passing by, he would call out and ask if they could give him any money. One day, he heard some people coming. Who is that coming, he asked. Someone told him, it's Jesus and his disciples. When they got close, Jesus said, hello, what's your name? Saladonius, the man said. What are you doing here, Saladonius, Jesus asked. I'm blind, he said. I sit here all day and I beg. How did you become blind, one of the disciples asked. Did you have an accident? Actually, I was born blind, the blind man said. Well then, Jesus' disciples started talking about Celadonius and his blindness. Jesus, why do you think Celadonius is blind, said one. Another said, wow, God must be mad at Celadonius' parents. They must have done something really, really bad for their son to be born blind. No, said a third, God wouldn't do that to Saladonius because his parents did something bad. Saladonius must have done something bad himself, and that's why he's blind. God is punishing him. What are you talking about, asked another. How could he do something bad before he was born? That's crazy talk. Well, they went on and on and on, and eventually Jesus spoke up. No, you guys, God is not punishing anyone here. Saladonius is blind because God wanted to show the world some amazing things. Everybody wanted to know what kind of amazing things God wanted to show through Saladonius' blindness. Jesus said, watch this. He spat on the ground. Ha, puh, spit. He scooped up some dirt with the spit, made mud out of it. And then he said to Saladonius, close your eyes tight. I need to spread some mud on them. Saladonius said, what, you're going to put mud on my eyes? No way. Jesus said, yep, I made it out of my own spit. Hold still. Saladonius, ooh, that's so gross. Jesus spread the mud very gently on Saladonius' eyes, and then he said, now I'm going to send you to a pool to wash the mud off. The name of the pool is Scent. When you get there, you'll be able to see. And you know what? Saladonius went there and he was sent. He washed the mud off of his eyes and he could see for the very first time. Why did John write these particular words? John wrote these words and this book about Jesus for a limited purpose, which he states very clearly. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. 
in John chapter 20, verse 31. John has handpicked incidences to demonstrate that Jesus is unlike any man who has ever lived. He is the Son of God. And so what does it mean that the work of God might be displayed in the weakness of this man, and how can that happen to us? The great miracle in John 9 shows us that, number one, Jesus wants to speak to us. We see that in John chapter 9, verse 1 through 7. Jesus wants to speak to us. Think about how the Lord worked in the life of this blind beggar. It probably started with what the man heard. Do you think the man heard the conversation going on between the Lord and his disciples? He did. According to verse 6, it seems that Jesus was close enough to simply just bend down and anoint this man's eyes with that wet clay. But what did he hear? In verse 2, he heard the Lord's disciples ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Well, there was nothing new about that. The blind beggar had heard crushing heart moments like that before. It was his whole life he heard these things. Commentators explain that in that day, it was common opinion that calamities of all kinds were a result of sin. So all his life, this blind man had been rejected. He had been scorned by people who looked down upon him. But in verse 3 through 5, the man heard something he had never heard before. He heard Jesus say this in verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Don't you know the blind man was overjoyed to hear that? He might have thought, what? God cares about me? God hasn't abandoned me? God wants to do something in my life? Yes, he did, and yes, he does. God cares about us as much as he cared about the blind man. And Jesus wants to speak to us too. He primarily speaks to through his word and the Holy Spirit. And God will always speak to us, but are we listening? Several times in the Gospels, Jesus cried out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. God wants to speak to us. When we listen to him, he tells us some challenging things like repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or follow me, I will make you fishers of men. But we also hear him say some great comforting things like ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Or we hear him saying, come unto me, all you who are labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And so when Jesus speaks, confusion fades away. When Jesus speaks, freedom reigns in our life. When sorrows and troubles rage, Jesus can just whisper a word of peace to our hearts. And so when he speaks, when Jesus speaks, we don't want to miss anything that he says. Why? Because the very words of Jesus speak life to our soul. God wants to speak to us. And he wants to speak to us and say great things. And great things happen when Jesus speaks. Are we listening? The second thing 
we find out here is that Jesus wants to give us vision. Jesus wants to give us vision. We see that in uh, John chapter 9, verse 3 through 5. Jesus brings clarity of sight to the disciples. That not all suffering is because of personal sin. Jesus brings physical sight to the blind man. This guy's hearing the words of Jesus to the disciples, and likely his whole life he's been told in some way this blindness is judgment or a sign from God that he is displeased with him. And now he's hearing another purpose. Today he's hearing another reason. Jesus' response here shows us that there's a purpose in our suffering. It doesn't matter who you are, you will encounter trials during this life. No amount of faith can save you from trials. Trials will indeed come, but it doesn't matter what type of trial you encounter with Jesus there's never a hopeless trial. This man was born with a physical disability. No one was able to cure it. His life didn't consist of running around and laughing and playing. Rather, it consisted of sitting every day and begging. Though his eyes were open, all he could see is darkness. Then Jesus, the light of the world, enters the picture. He enters the scene, and now, for this moment, there's hope. Jesus is beginning to show his disciples and this man that the purpose of his suffering is not punishment. It's to display the works of God in him. Can you imagine the weight that must have been lifted off the shoulders of this man? I want you to listen to this. Some of us may need to hear that today. Some of us have been weighed down by guilt thinking that God is punishing us because of a sin or something we've committed in the past. But the bottom line is this. We all got a pass. Thank God for his forgiveness. And some of us need to hear these words. It's not that you've sinned. It's not that your parents have sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed in your life. And so when we look at verse 6 and 7 in John chapter 9, it says this. After saying this, he spit on the ground made some mud with a saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. We see he is given instructions here, and he's commanded by Jesus, go wash in the pool. Now, this isn't a direct command like, you know, obey and be healed, but it's an indirect command. Jesus is saying, I'm here to heal. God's working in your life. You're going to walk in faith. God is and God will work. And and why did Jesus use spit and dirt to do what he did on that day? He could have just spoke a word. Boom, you're healed. But he uses spit and dirt. Well, the Jews of that day regarded saliva as medicinal to the eyes when diseased. In the Talmud, which is the religious traditions and teachings of the rabbis of the day, there's a tradition that the spittle or the saliva of the firstborn of a father is healing. And so when Jesus healed the blind man with dirt mixed with saliva, he was saying, I am who I say I am. I am the firstborn son of the father. I am the son of God. 
Physical vision is an incredible blessing from God. Thank God that we can see, right? But it's infinitely more important that God wants to give us spiritual vision. There's a principle here that we can't miss. When God wants you to pursue a specific vision for your life, he will give you an unshakable desire to work towards that goal no matter how many setbacks occur. God won't just magically give you a vision and that's it. When someone finally reaches a goal in life, they've always been, that they always wanted, it, it takes a lot of personal sacrifice, right? And hard work. But does that mean the person gets the credit and God gets no credit? No. Because if it's a godly vision from the Lord, the Lord will help you bring it to fruition. Not by just giving it to you, but rather giving you supernatural amount of energy to make the necessary steps to achieve your goal. There's so many failures and setbacks that will try to block us from accomplishing the dreams that God has for us. But we need an act of God to keep finding strength, to keep finding the Holy Spirit in us, to get back up again, no matter what happens. I just want to share, many of you know, um, recently my, my dad passed away. It's been a hard time for me. And I thank you for your prayers. I thank you for your cards and your support. But during this time, I just felt like, you know, I, I don't even want to be used by God. I just want to go in a corner somewhere and lament. But God wouldn't have that. He would give me supernatural strength to get up each and every day and do the will that he has for me and the dreams that he still has for me to accomplish. That same power is in each and every one of us. God has unlimited resources. So let's maximize those resources from the Holy Spirit. We see this principle in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. When Paul is writing this letter to the church at Philippi, he says this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection which Christ Jesus first possessed me. And so when God is giving you a vision, he will also provide you with supernatural determination to work towards that vision. The blind man in this passage reached his destination. He was healed. He received Jesus. And if church tradition serves us correctly, he's credited with founding a church in France. The third point I want us to know is this. Jesus wants to send us. Jesus wants to send us. The Lord wants to send us to different places at different times for different reasons. The blind man is our example in, in John chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Of course, Jesus could have healed this man without sending him to the pool, but the Lord wanted to give, get him involved in the process. Jesus let the blind man exercise and apply his faith. The Lord wants us to do the same kind of thing. He wants to do the same thing in our lives as well. The amazing truth is that God wants to involve us in the work of his kingdom. So he sends us. Christ being sent from heaven by God the Father is the most crucial part of God's plan for mankind. It's mentioned several times in the New Testament, particularly in John chapter 12, verse 44 and 45. Jesus says, 
Jesus shouted to the crowds, if you trust me, you are trusting not only me, but also God who sent me. For when you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. The Lord sends his followers to different places. Jesus came and he told the disciples what? I have given you all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, what? Go. He's sending us to make disciples of all nations. God is empowering us, and he's sending us to spread his love in ever-widening circles, whether that is across the oceans or down the block. Where is Jesus trying to send you? Who does he want you to see? The Lord wants to speak to us. He wants to give us spiritual insight. He wants to send us. And so the last point for today is this. If he's going to do all those things, don't be resistant to God's work in our lives. Don't be resistant to the work that God's about to do in your life. We see that in John chapter eight, verse, John chapter 9, verse 8 through 34. And I'm not going to go through all those scripture verses because of time, but the neighbors and the leaders of this man's community were suspicious of the healing. Isn't that like it always is? God does a big thing, a miraculous thing in our lives. You go tell people, Nick, I don't know about that. They thought something fishy was going on. Look at what they did to escape the reality of what happened. In John chapter 9, verse 8, they questioned the reality of what happened. In John chapter 9, verse 16, they called Jesus a lawbreaker. In John chapter 9, verse 22, they sought to intimidate the parents of the man. Yeah, bring them in too. We got a word. We got something to tell them as well. And then they attacked the integrity of the witness in John chapter 9, verse 28. All these things to keep from giving credit to God for a great miracle. I think there's a warning for us in this text. Don't walk in the extremes of being gullible or pharisaical. Gullible, on one hand, is that we're taken in by every new teaching that arises. Anything that someone says, we believe, it comes from God. There's no discernment. No weighing what is said by the context of Scripture. And to this extreme, we're open up to all manner of deception. And Satan can lead us astray simply by making things sound godly. But on the other hand, let's not be pharisaical. That says that we won't believe or acknowledge anything that's outside of our experience. And at this point, we're trying to put God in a box. We have narrowly defined him and will not allow anything new to expand our picture. This too is wrong. This account here in John chapter 9 reminds us to, number one, listen to what others have to say. Even when their experience is different, God may be teaching us something. The second thing we learn is be careful not to close any doors. It may be a door leading to a deeper walk with God. And number three, refuse to put God in a box. He doesn't belong there, and he won't fit. To the woman at the well, Jesus offered living water to her. Living water is that which quenches our deep desire for meaning and substance in our life and for living. Now we witness a blind man who not only gains 
physical sight, but discovers Jesus as Messiah. She found living water. He found the light of life. Both of them emerged from difficult life circumstances. And they found a whole new dimension on life. Both of them were able to make gains on the long journey home to God. What is the light of life? Today's story makes it clear that the light of life is to come to an understanding of who Jesus is. That's a joyful discovery that leads to, to worship. But there's more at the heart of the story. This message speaks to our souls. That God is attentive to an understanding of our particular life circumstance. Whatever you're going through today, I want you to know God has you on his radar. You're not forgotten. Number two, God cares for a rejected woman, a blind beggar, so he cares for you and me. And number three, God has a unique design for our lives. The woman, the blind man, you and I all have unique circumstances and differing needs. God may or may not change our circumstances, but he'll help us make sense of it, get us through it, or change us. I believe as we read in John 9 today during this season of Lent, the scripture is asking us a question. Who is Jesus? The blind man in verse 15, as he was being <laughs> interrogated by the Pharisees, tells them in essence, I did what he told me to do. He put mud on my eyes and I washed and now I see. The blind man had courage to listen to Jesus and to act on what he was told to do. It's a fancy way of saying obedience. The blind man in verse 38 believes in Jesus and he worships him. His obedience brought joy because he realized God loves the world and that he's given his only son and I'm part of that plan. I want you to know today, you're part of that plan. God loves you. He sent his son. You're part of the plan. And so this Lenten season, as it continues, TLCC, let us pray for the gift to hear and the strength to act on what we have heard. God has sent his son to guide us through this broken world. And God is speaking and he's showing us the way we may journey on in his grace. Amen. Amen.